Hi, I'm Cassandra Fredrickson. And I'm Norman Mitchell, and we're the hosts of Lord of the Rings Minute, the daily podcast where we discuss, appreciate, and delve too deep into the Lord of the Rings Extended Editions, one minute at a time. You know there's a Balrog down there, right? It'll be fine. (laughs) Have you ever wondered about Hobbit economy or how wizards get their mail? Are you also in awe of Hugo Weaving's eyebrows? Then join us every Monday through Friday on our mission, quest, thing, only on DuelingGenre.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Dueling Genre Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character in a great story. I'm Joe Dorowski. And I'm Todd Mack. And this week we're discussing Hermione Granger from the novel Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. And to join our discussion, where we have our first-time guest, Amy Champion. Hello! Welcome. Thank you so much for having me on. It's quite a privilege. Welcome, and we're glad to have you. Amy, we know of you through your appearances on the Fandom Podcast, so... Yes. Listeners of the Protagonist Podcast, you should go check out the Fandom Podcast as well. Is there anything else that you'd like to be known for, Amy? Champion? (laughs) Besides your awesome name? (laughs) Yes. When you say my name, it has to be first and last. That would be great. Um, I I think that's going to happen naturally. Like, it's really hard for me to to do anything but say Amy Champion. (laughs) It's great. You know, my brothers played hockey, so on the back of their jerseys, it just said Champion. But... It's pretty oh, cool. that's wow. good. <laughs> yeah, but I didn't play sports, so it's okay, though. Listeners, if somehow you are unfamiliar with Harry Potter, it is a phenomenally successful book series and film series, and also a really spectacular set of audiobooks. Just yeah. just grade A reading uh, in the audiobooks. And uh, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban is the third book in the series, and it was published in July 1999 in the UK and September 1999 in the US. And we are going to be discussing Hermione Granger, who is one of uh, kind of the, the three main characters that, that we follow through the series. There's this core three of Harry, Ron, and Hermione. And this episode, we're focusing a bit more on Hermione, though I'm sure we'll touch on other characters as well. So, uh, Amy, whenever we talk about a work, we always throw out the question, how did you first come to this work? Do you remember how you first discovered Harry Potter and or specifically this book? Oh, yes. Um, Well, my family has a cabin in Midway, and it's tradition for Thanksgiving we go see a movie. And there's just a little tiny theater, so they're showing like one movie, and it was The Sorcerer's Stone. And I was... I think I was like nine, like I was pretty young and my mom was like, okay, we got you a ticket. And I was like, I'm not going. And she was like, oh, it will be fun. And I kind of threw a fit and I was like, I don't want to go. But then I ended up going because, well, we had an extra ticket. And ever since then, I was like, oh my goodness, what is Harry Potter? I must know everything. So that was like (laughs) Harry Potter, but Prisoner of Azkaban, um, I actually saw most of the movies first before I read the books. So I remember um, I had a popcorn kernel stuck in my ear. Fun fact. What? <laughs> so, <laughs> that, that, that sentence did not end how I expected yeah. it to. <laughs> I mean, teeth. But yeah, I remember I was just coming out of like the funk, like the surgery. And I remember just finding myself in Prisoner of Azkaban, like in a theater. So I guess my dad took me to see it. I I guess that's how I ended up there. 
Oh, wait. can we back up? So I'm you sorry. Have surgery. Yeah, surgery. No, no, you just yeah, gotta right. keep going. No. So yeah, no, me and my friend were watching a movie, and she was lying on the couch, and I was lying on the floor, and she was just dropping popcorn kernels on me because okay, and one just landed in my ear, wow. and so we tried everything to get it out, but everything we did we just pushed it further in. And so it got to the point where it was oh up against gosh. my eardrum, and I went swimming every day and got swimmer's ear on top of that. And so I remember going to like the ear, nose, and throat doctor, and he had a long, giant hook, and he pulled it out, and then I found myself in Harry Potter. Ta-da! <laughs> wow. <laughs> so there you go. Okay. That is a unique story. You know, it's one I find. <laughs> we've never had a we've never had a, a story quite like you know, that it's, on the show. I find myself like telling it a lot, but it's like I still love it each time because it's so great. Uh, what about you, Todd? Oh. Uh, I read the Harry Potter books. Um, I've, I think. Gosh, what year did this come out? Ninety nine. Ninety nine. So it was out before. I read it for the first, I mean, I didn't read it as it, as it came out. I started reading the Harry Potter books in 90, probably in 99. So it would have been right as this was coming out. Um, and I read them all pretty quickly until I was caught up to when they were coming out. And then, I mean, I, I it's hard for me to separate one from the other. In fact, fun, <laughs> as I was reading it this time, I was confusing the ending of this book with the ending of oh. the next book and thinking that <laughs> like, oh my God, how, how is this going to happen? Because we're running out of time for all of this <laughs> other stuff to happen. And I realized, oh yeah, it happens in a, in the next book. So it's hard for me to separate the stories sometimes. Uh, I do remember when we saw this in the theater, I took my wife to the midnight showing. She, she did not like this book oh. or, or the movie at all. <laughs> not even a little bit. And, uh, it kind of ended Harry oh, Potter no. for her. So she's she's really not into Harry Potter, mostly because she really, really did not like this movie. Um, I think she had some sort of, uh, it must have touched some like childhood fear or something. But she was really like not a fan of this movie. And I actually really, really love uh, the movie. But uh, yeah, that's my story of Prisoner of oh, Azkaban. Yeah, I love this book. I don't know if I can say that it's my favorite, but... Today, I might say that it's my favorite. It is. Man, there are so many great things that happen in this book. Because uh, it's the last one you read. It's your favorite right now. Yes, it really is until we read the next one. But man, it's so good. <laughs> so good. So many cool stuff. So many cool things happen uh, in this book. So I can't remember if this one was out when my mom was pushing the Harry Potter books on me. Or if I had, like, read the first two and had to wait. But it wouldn't have been waiting very long. Like, I, I think it was the summer that this came out is when That's I read the first two. That's kind of how and, I feel about this. Yeah. Uh, but I remember <laughs> the wait for all the other books after this one. <laughs> like, pretty distinctly. <laughs> uh, but I, so I, so either it was a very short window of time or or it was already out and that's when I, I read all three pr in pretty quick succession uh, but yeah this is uh, definitely a great book and I have a real fondness for the audiobooks of Harry Potter and for a long time uh, I would go to bed listening to Jim Dale reading Harry Potter <laughs> and so uh, in those uh, teenage years like that 
like before there were seven books, like there were, there were those first, you know, these first three that I would listen to, uh, you know, in the background as I was doing stuff. And, uh, so I, I think I have a lot more exposure to these first three Harry Potter books than the other subsequent ones, even though it's definitely, you know, several times I've been through the other Harry Potter books. Well, before we get into the long summary, listeners, a little bit of trivia about, uh, Harry Potter. As I noted earlier, um, there was about a uh, two-month gap between the UK publishing and the US publishing of this book. And the first two books, had there had been about a year gap between uh, those two. But from here on out in all the subsequent bo- books, it is a simultaneous uh, day release between the US and the UK publishing. And uh, Rowling has said that this book was easy to write and her best writing experience. And she added that one of her favorite things about the book was introducing the character of Remus Lupin. And when she says that this was uh, one of her favorite writing experiences, it's interesting. It's not just that, like, this story clicked, which, like, it seems like this was about one year of writing time between when she started and and when it was heading into publication. So that's pretty quick for this complex, uh, you know, the Gordian knot of the time travel at the end (laughs) that she has to unravel. Uh, But it's actually what she said she loved about it so much is that the first two books were successful. And so her financial burden that she'd been carrying had been lifted. And, but... The series wasn't so successful that the press attention had become excessive and she had felt like she lost her privacy. Um, so this was a sweet spot in her career between being a successful author and, you know, being the most successful contemporary author ever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and I mean, there's so much trivia about Harry Potter. Uh, and this book, but I just want to throw out as a one last little bit uh, before we get into the main discussion that the Harry Potter series has been translated into 67 languages to date um, and that there have been different editions with different cover art uh, released, but recently they've begun releasing oversized, fully illustrated uh, editions and Prisoner of Azkaban is the last or the most recent one that was released and I've seen these. They are beautiful, uh, just just beautiful uh, illustrations throughout the entire the entire story. Oh, yes. Like, these are going to be the ones I read to my children. They're gorgeous. Okay, before we move on, listeners, we'd like to thank each of, uh, of you for listening, and especially thank those who support us on Patreon. If you would also like to support us financially, we invite you to go to patreon.com slash protagonist. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash protagonist and support our show with at least $1 per month. All supporters on Patreon at any level receive access to our special quick casts, which are shorter episodes in which we break down newly released films and trailers. And all patrons who support us with $5 per month or more get to choose a topic for us to discuss. We'd like to thank all of our patrons again. Are you ready for the long synopsis? I think a lot of our listeners are already going to (laughs) know the basic plot of Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. But let's give a refresher for everyone. Okay. So it is summer and it's Harry's uh, 13th birthday. But he's sad because he misses school and his friends, and he lives with his terrible non-wizard aunt and uncle, the Dursleys. Uh, but he's happy to receive a letter from his best friend Ron, posing with his. Uh, and, and Ron sends a a picture from the newspaper of him with his family and his pet rat Scabbers uh, in Egypt. And another he and Harry gets another letter from his other best friend Hermione. And he also receives a book about monsters that is actually a monster itself from his friend Hagrid. And a note from school informing him that he will need a parent or guardian permission slip signed if he plans on visiting the wizarding town of Hogsmeade during the school year. Uh, Harry also receives word that a man named Sirius Black has escaped from Azkaban, which is the wizard prison. And this man was one of Voldemort's followers and is considered extremely dangerous. 
Harry's uncle Vernon has a sister, and her name is Marge, and she comes to visit, and she is even worse than the Dursleys. And after her insults about Harry's parents go too far, Harry uh, uses magic to blow her up like a balloon, and she floats away. And then Harry runs away, convinced that his unsanctioned use of magic outside of the school will get him expelled. As he makes his way through the neighborhood in the night, but not uh, he's not entirely sure where he will go, and he sees a giant black dog in the shadows of some bushes, and it scares him half to death. But right then, a magical night bus shows up and races him away to London and the Leaky Cauldron uh, Tavern, which is outside of Diagon Alley, which is uh, the wizard marketplace in London. So when he gets there, uh, Harry is met by the Minister of Magic, Cornelius Fudge, who is so happy to see that Harry is alive, he doesn't give him any punishment. Harry spends the next week before school starts uh, staying at the Leaky Cauldron and hanging around Diagon Alley. At one point, he finds out that a black dog is a sign of impending doom. And then Ron and Hermione come to stay the night before they leave for Hogwarts. And that night, uh, Harry overhears Mr. and Mrs. Weasley talking about how Sirius Black, the, the escaped prisoner, he wants to kill Harry. So the next day, Harry Hermione buys a cat called Crookshanks, and Ron is unhappy about this because the cat does not seem to like his rat, Scabbers. At the train station before the kids head off to school at Hogwarts, Mr. Weasley pulls Harry aside and tells him that whatever happens, he must not go looking for Sirius Black. On the train, Harry, Ron, Hermione, and Ron's sister Ginny sit with a man called Professor Lupin, and he looks tired and worn down, uh, and then the air gets cold as the Dementors, which are these creepy cloaked guards from... Uh, from Azkaban prison and they suck the hope and happiness out of people the Dementors uh, show up and Harry hears a woman scream in his head and then he faints and when he comes to uh, Professor Lupin is there and he's very kind and he helps Harry uh, to recover from fainting uh, by giving him chocolate and then Malfoy who is Harry's arch emesis makes fun of Harry for fainting because of the Dementors at school, Professor McGonagall, who is in charge of Gryffindor House, that's the one Harry, Ron, and Hermione belong to, uh, Professor McGonagall pulls Hermione aside to tell her something important, and then Dumbledore announces that Lupin is the new Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher, and Hagrid is the new Care of Mar Magical Creatures teacher. Care of Magical Creatures teacher. <laughs> uh, Hermione has overloaded her schedule so that she has two and sometimes three classes at the same time. Harry and Ron have no idea how she does it, uh, and she doesn't seem interested in telling them. On the first day of class, they go to divination, which is taught by Professor Trelawney. And she tells them that books will be no good here, and Hermione is immediately suspicious of divination <laughs> because she loves books, <laughs> and and she's very good at reading them, and and she's uh, she's su suspicious of uh, of divination. So then Trelawney tells Harry that she sees terrible things in his future, including the Grim, which is a giant black dog that means impending death. Their next class is Transfiguration with Professor McGonagall. She talks to them about animagi, or people who can turn themselves into animals. She herself is an animagus and can turn herself into a cat. After that, the kids go to Care of Magical Creatures with Hagrid. His first class is about hippogriffs, which are giant flying creatures that are half eagle and half horse. They are proud and must be approached with humility. And Harry successfully flies on one, and Malfoy gets jealous and tries to approach uh, this, this uh, hippogriff that's called Buckbeak, uh, but it attacks Malfoy. And then uh, that night, they go to Hagrid's, and he's sad because Malfoy is trying to get him fired. Next day, they have potions class with Professor Snape, who hates Harry, and Malfoy is making a big deal about his hurt arm even though Harry and his friends know that he's faking it because they're magic and they can fix 
<laughs> scratched arms pretty easily. Uh, meanwhile, Hermione's behavior is becoming very erratic. She's super stressed and overwhelmed with her schedule, but she still won't talk to anybody about it. In their Defense Against the Dark Arts class, Professor Lupin has a monster that's called a Bogart, which is a shapeshifter that turns into whatever the person facing it is most afraid of. The kids have to think of something silly so that they can laugh at it, uh, which makes it weak. And Harry's worried because he knows that the Bogart will turn into a Dementor for him, but Lupin doesn't let him face, uh, face the Bogart. And that makes Harry feel like Lupin thinks he's weak. And during this scene, we find out that Lupin's fear is some kind of glowing white circle or sphere. Hermione's cat Crookshanks keeps uh, trying to kill Scabbers, the rat. Uh, everyone goes to Hogsmeade except Harry, and he's sad because the Dursleys didn't give him a permission slip to go. So he goes and visits Lupin, and then while they're talking, Snape brings Lupin a potion, uh, and they talk. Then Ron and Hermione. <laughs> then Ron and Hermione return from Hogsmeade with sweets for Harry. And when they get back to their common room, the fat lady, who is a living portrait who guards the door to their house dormitory, she is gone. And Dumbledore is worried and wants to find her. And then Peeves uh, tells Peeves is the uh, poltergeist of the school, and he tells everyone that the fat lady was attacked by Sirius Black. The professor searches the castle, but they don't find uh, anyone. They, they can't find Sirius. And then some time passes, and then in potions class, Snape teaches uh, one day when Lupin is sick, and he makes everybody study werewolves, which is really hard for them because they haven't reached that point in the textbook, and they're all sad because they have to study werewolves. But that might come become important a little later on. Uh, it's, it's a Quidditch season, and there's a huge, huge storm for their first Quidditch game, which is against uh, Hufflepuff, the house Hufflepuff. And during the match, uh, the Dementors show up, and Harry falls off of his broom, and, uh, and Gryffindor loses the match. And then later, Harry talks to Lupin and asks him to teach, uh, to teach him, to teach Harry, uh, how to defend himself against the Dementors, and Lupin promises to do so after the Christmas break. And uh, now, just before Christmas break, the students are allowed to go to Hog Hogsmeade, and Fred and George Weasley give Harry a piece of parchment that is uh, called the Marauder's Map. And it looks just like an old uh, blank parchment, but when you tap on it with your wand and say the words, I solemnly swear I am up to no good, it reveals a magical map of Hogwarts grounds, including secret passageways out of the castle to Hogsmeade. And it labels all of the people in the castle. I need to circle around to this because I, so I have a question. But, uh... But Marauder's <laughs> Map? Yes. You'll be the first Harry Potter fan to I'm raise some questions about this. I'm sure I am. <laughs> so Harry uses the map. In Hogsmeade, Harry ends up eavesdropping on Cornelius Fudge, the Minister of Magic, and some other people. And through the conversation, he finds out that Sirius Black and James Potter, who is Harry's father, had been best friends. When the Potters found out that Voldemort was after them, uh, they hid, and they made Sirius Black their secret keeper. And a secret keeper is like a magical security measure that makes them unfindable as long as the secret keeper is true to them. But Black betrayed them, and Voldemort killed them. And then Black went on the run, but his friend Peter Pettigrew found him. And then Black blasted Peter, killing him and 13 muggles that were all around him at the time. And all that was left of Peter Pettigrew was his little finger. And then Black was taken to Azkaban, but for some reason, the Dementors did not make him go crazy like they did to everybody else who goes to Azkaban. But now Harry is filled with hatred for Black, and he understands why Mr. Weasley told him, don't go looking for Black, because what he wants to do is go find Black and kill him. Uh, now the Christmas holiday comes, and someone anonymously sends Harry uh, a Firebolt broomstick. And this is a broomstick that uh, Harry had been admiring during the week that he spent in Diagon Alley. 
Uh, but Hermione does not trust this new broomstick. She's worried that Black might have jinxed it and sent it to Harry to, to kill him. And she tells Professor McGonagall, who confiscates it, so she can examine it and make sure it's safe. And Ron and Harry are beside themselves, angry with Hermione. Harry starts working with Lupin on a Patronus charm, which is a charm that is used to ward off the mentors. And to conjure it, he has to focus on a single happy memory. He tries uh, thinking about flying and coming to Hogwarts, but he only gets a silvery shadow. Uh, Hermione is still working herself crazy. Harry gets the firebolt back from McGonagall, then Scabbers goes missing. And there's blood on Ron's pillow, and he is convinced that Crookshanks has eaten his rat. And Ron and Hermione's friendship is over. And then the next Quidditch game is against Ravenclaw, and their secret is Cho Chang, and Harry thinks she's pretty cute. And uh, the Dementors show up, but Harry sends out a Patronus charm, and then he grabs the sitch, and there's a huge celebration, and it turns out that they weren't really Dementors that had showed up, but it was just Malfoy and his friends dressed as Dementors, and they get in big trouble, and everyone else is super happy. And then the next night, Ron wakes up screaming, and it turns out Sirius Black had been in his room, and he had cut up the curtains with a knife, but not killed Ron. Harry sneaks back to Hogsmeade with his invisibility cloak because Hermione says that she will turn him in if she finds out that he's gone back because he's supposed to stay in the castle because everyone knows that Sirius Black is back at Hogwarts because he wants to kill Harry Potter. In Hogsmeade, Harry and Ron go to the Shrieking Shack, which is supposedly the most haunted building in England. Uh, and Harry, hidden by his invisibility cloak, throws mud at Malfoy, and it's really funny until the top of Harry's cloak falls off, and Malfoy sees Harry's face. Then Harry rushes back to the school, but Snape is there waiting for him, and he grills Harry, and he finds the Marauder's Map, but he can't make it reveal its secret, because he doesn't know the secret password. And so he calls Professor Lupin, who covers for Harry, and then later, and away from Snape, Lupin tells Harry not to squander his parents' sacrifice, and he keeps the map. And Hermione tells them that Hagrid lost his appeal and that uh, Buckbeak, the hippogriff, is going to be executed. Then later, Malfoy makes fun of Buckbeak, and Hermione punches him in the face. In a divination class, Hermione gets fed up with Trelawney's fake prophecies, and she walks out of class. These are two things that are completely out of character for Hermione Granger. Punching someone and walking out of class. Oh, we will come back to these points when we're talking about so Hermione good. in this book. So good. <laughs> Uh, exam time comes and everyone, uh, everything works out okay for everybody for the most part. Although Hermione doesn't do as well as she would hope on Lupin's exam because she sees the Bogart, uh, the Bogart that turns into anything, the, the thing that the person is most afraid of. Uh, she sees it as Professor McGonagall telling her that she failed all her exams. Uh, and then it's time for divination. And Harry doesn't see a thing in Professor Trelawney's ball, but as he leaves, uh, she see, so she has his crystal ball. He doesn't see anything. And she says, I'm sorry, you don't have the gift. And then as he leaves the room, she goes into this weird trance and she makes a real prophecy that the Dark Lord's servant will be released after 12 years tonight and would rejoin his master. And then she comes to and she has no recollection of what she was saying. And when he gets out, Ron and Hermione inform him that, uh, that Hagrid, had lo Hagrid lost Buckbeak's appeal and that they're going to ex execute him at sunset. And so they, they need to get the invisibility cloak so they can sneak out and be with Hagrid. And Hermione, again, breaking character, sneaks out of the castle to get, uh, to get it from the Hogsmeade Tunnel. And then they go to visit Hagrid, and he's depressed. But then Hermione finds Scabbers the rat. And he looks terrible, but they're happy to, to have found the rat. And now Dumbledore, Fudge, and the Executioner come to execute Buckbeak. And as the kids get away, Scabbers goes crazy. And then they kind of go chasing after Scabbers, and they hear the swoosh and the thud of the axe, and they know that Buckbeak has been killed. Then Scabbers gets away, and uh, Crookshanks chases him across the lawn, and Ron grabs uh, his rat, but then a huge dog attacks them and grabs Ron, Ron, 
grabs Ron's arm and drags him underneath this huge tree called the Whomping Willow. And then Harry and Hermione follow, and they go through a, another secret passageway that leads to the Shrieking Shack inside of Hogsmeade. And there they find Sirius Black. And they all have a big scuffle, and Harry gets a wand, and he trains it on Black, and he's ready to kill him. But then Lupin shows up and disarms Harry, and then he kind of works something out in his head, and then he hugs Black. And then Harry and Hermione come completely unglued. And Hermione says that she knows that Black is a werewolf, and that he's uh, and she's mad because she's been covering for him, and she can't believe that he is helping uh, Black. And then Lupin explains. You said you said Black's a I'm werewolf. Sorry. Backtrack for Hermione Lupin. Hermione says that. Professor Lupin is a werewolf and that she's mad at him because he's been covering for uh, that. She, she's, she's been covering. Huh. It kind of feels like this when what you're reading that? it. Like there are so many, there's so many changes in what's going on that you feel like you're kind of getting jerked around a little bit and uh, it's awesome, but <laughs> it's tricky to summarize. So Harry and Hermione become unglued and Hermione says that she knows that Professor Lupin is a werewolf and she feels betrayed because she's been covering for him. And then Lupin explains that he is a werewolf, but he hasn't been helping Black. But he was checking on the Marauder's map, which it turns out he himself had helped to write. And he was astonished to see the name of Peter Pettigrew next to Ron's. And then he also saw Sirius's name on the map, and he started to put things together. And the kids are all confused, and Black wants to kill Scabbers, who he says is Pettigrew. And then Lupin explains that when he was little, he was bitten by a werewolf. And then, uh, and so now he turns every, every month on the full moon, he turns into a werewolf. And, uh, but Snape figured out how to create a potion for him that he can take so that he doesn't lose his mind. And because of this, uh, Professor Dumbledore gave him a job at the school. But when he was a kid, Dumbledore, uh, made a, did, did Dumbledore make the tunnel that goes underneath the Whomping Willow? Or was it already there? Do we know? Yeah, I, I, I thought it was okay, so there. Dumbledore, Dumbledore discovered it. Did Amy Champion, are you? Or, do you concur with that? Okay. So somehow there's a tunnel, and Dumbledore either discovered it or made it, and uh, it leads to this abandoned shack in Hogsmeade, and then um, Dumbledore would send Lupin there so that he could turn into a werewolf without um, endangering anyone. And what people thought were ghosts in the Shrieking Shack were just Lupin's uh, screams. And then he became friends with James uh, Potter and Sirius Black and Peter Pettigrew, and they were really smart. And I, I mean, I thought I was impressed with Hermione for figuring out the the Polyjuice potion. And they say that they always say that she's the smartest wizard of her age. But my goodness, turning themselves into Animagi and writing the Marauders map seemed seemed to be two incredible feats of magic for these kids. And I would say. And Dumbledore acknowledges this. Perhaps the most impressive part is that Dumbledore didn't know this was going yes. on. Because so often we're, we're, it's implied that Dumbledore knows basically everything the students are getting up to. Yeah. And unless it's too dangerous, he's going to look the other way and let kids be kids. But he had no idea that they had managed this feat of magic. I mean, it took them three years to figure out how to turn themselves into animals. But my goodness. So... They- <laughs> So they were really smart. They found out how to turn themselves into animals, and so then they could keep um, they could keep Lupin company and prowl around with him at night. Uh, but then Snape Snape shows up in the Shrieking Shack. So as they're we're getting this kind of exposition about Lupin's past, Snape shows up, and he hates Lupin and Black because of stuff that happened when they were younger, and uh, he captures Lupin and Black. But then Hermione and and, and Harry disarm <laughs> Snape, and they knock him out. 
And so then and <laughs> Hermione is like, we just attacked a teacher. <laughs> she cannot believe that she's done this. So now Lupin. <laughs> and uh, this is maybe the most inopportune time for him to be unconscious for what's about to be revealed. <laughs> so then Lupin and Black finish explaining. And uh, it, it turns out. So this is they're, they're explaining the betrayal. So it turns out that at the last minute, Black had convinced James Potter to make Peter Pettigrew his secret keeper. Uh, instead of him. And then uh, Pettigrew betrayed the Potters and framed Black for the crime. And he's been living for 12 years with the Weasley family, uh, kind of biding his time until Voldemort would return. And uh, Black recognized Peter Pettigrew as the rat in the newspaper clipping from the very beginning. And this is like classic J.K. Rowling where like everything it's it's Chekhov's newspaper clipping and it's Chekhov's like Chekhov's everything at the beginning Chekhov's uh broomstick etc uh, etc et <laughs> like it, it, she sets up everything in the beginning that then pays off in the end which is awesome uh but so he recognized the rat from the newspaper clipping and uh and that, that was when he escaped because he recognized that uh Pettigrew would try to kill Harry and uh so then Black and Lupin use their wands to force Peter to take human form. And there are more and more exposition, and Lupin and Black are going to kill Peter. Uh, but Harry doesn't want that because he knows that his dad would not want them to be murderers. So they tie him up, and they all head back to the school. Um, I didn't mention, but Ron has a broken leg through all this. Um, <laughs> when they get out, the moon has come out. And Lupin, having forgotten to take his potion, seems like a gross oversight. Turns into a werewolf <laughs> at the most inopportune time. And in the confusion that follows, Black turns into a dog and chases Lupin, and Pettigrew turns into a rat and escapes. And then the Dementors show up for Black, and Harry tries to conjure a Patronus charm to save himself and Hermione and uh, Sirius. But the kids can't manage it, and Harry starts to pass out, and a Dementor comes to Harry, and he bears its horrible head, and it starts to give Harry this, the Dementor's kiss and suck his soul out of his body. And then a perfect Patronus uh, in the form of a stag comes and drives away the Dementors. And then the stag goes back across the lake. So it comes it comes from across the lake, saves Harry and Hermione and Sirius, and then goes back across the lake. And Harry sees someone giving the Patronus a pat before he passes out. And now back at, Corne uh, at uh, Hogwarts, Cornelius Fudge treats Snape like a hero. And nobody knows how the Dementors were repelled, uh, but... Um, but Sirius Black has been captured, and hes they're getting ready to send him back to... Well, they're just going to give him the kiss and uh, and be done with him. Ron, Harry, and Hermione are in the medical wing, and nobody believes their story because there's no proof that Peter Pettigrew is alive, and Lupin is out uh, recovering from being a werewolf. And Dumbledore asks to speak to Harry and Hermione alone, and he tells them that he believes them, but nobody else will. And then he tells Hermione that they need more time, like wink, wink. And then he says that Black is on the seventh floor, and they can save more than one innocent life tonight. And Harry is totally confused. And then Dumbledore leaves, and Hermione takes charge. And she has this thing that's called a time turner, which is a small hourglass that hangs on a chain, a very long chain, around her neck. And then she puts it around both of them, and they go back in time three hours. And this is the way that she's been doubling up on her classes is by traveling through time uh, and repeating hours in different classes. And uh, so they go back three hours, which was just as, as they had an, initially been going uh, under the invisibility cloak to go and visit Hagrid. And so they realize if they can save Buckbeak, then they can fly on him up into the tower and save Sirius Black. And so they sneak down to Hagrid's house, and they watch – 
And then uh, Harry lets Buckbeak free, and he barely gets to the edge of forest in time for the the executioner and Cornelius uh, Fudge and Dumbledore to come out of the cabin and see that he's gone. And so Buckbeak is not killed. And then they run to the Whomping Willow. Uh, Harry and Hermione run to the Whomping Willow, and they watch uh, they watch themselves, the old uh, the older selves. Uh, go down into the tree, and then they watch Lupin go into the tree, and Harry keeps wanting to rush in to stop things, and Hermione keeps saying, nope, we have to stay out of sight, we have to wait, we have to be patient, we have to do this right, because we're messing with time, and it's really dangerous. And then Snape comes out, and he goes into the tree, and then they sit and wait, and Harry tells Hermione that he thinks that it was his dad who saved him from the Dementors with that awesome Patronus, Uh, because only his dad could have conjured a Patronus that strong. And the person that Harry saw before he passed out looked like his dad. So Harry wants to grab Pettigrew uh, and Hermione keeps stopping him. Harry, again, he keeps wanting to rush in. Hermione keeps stopping him. Uh, And then they they end up taking Buckbeak and going back to Hagrid's cabin to stay out of sight. Uh, But Harry wants to go and see what's going on. So he rushes out to the lake to see if he can see his father, because he's convinced that his father is going to be there to save him before he gets the Dementor's kiss. But there's nobody there, and then Harry realizes that nobody is going to come, because he had actually seen himself. And so he stands up, and he sends out this huge stag Patronus that glides across the lake and saves him, and then the stag comes back and he pats it. And then he goes back uh, to Hermione at the cabin, they mount on Buckbeak, they fly up to the castle, they get serious, they let him go, and he flies away on on Buckbeak, and then Harry and Hermione sneak back to the hospital wing just in time to see Dumbledore exit, and they tell him they were successful on their mission. Uh, Now Snape is beside himself with fury. Dumbledore kind of makes him look like an idiot. Dumbledore's kind of a jerk at this little part, I thought, but... It's it's kind of a return to finale of book one, when he ruins all the Slytherins' lives. (laughs) In the most public way possible. (laughs) Yeah, um, so he lets out the, so then Snape is mad at Dumbledore, so he lets out the fact that Lupin is a werewolf, and then Lupin has to resign. And, uh, and Harry goes to see him, and he gives Harry back his invisibility cloak and the Marauder's map, and then he leaves. And now school ends, and Harry dreads going back to the Dursleys, and Hermione gives up time turning because it's just too much crazy for her. And Ron invites Harry to go and spend time with him, uh, in the summer, and then, uh, while they're on the train, an owl brings Harry a letter from Sirius. And he tells him that he was the one who sent him the firebolt and that he's his godfather. Uh, and But, I mean, obviously, can't live with him because he's, you know, on the lam. But uh, he gives, uh, he gives uh, uh, Harry a letter with uh, a signed letter giving him permission to visit Hog- Hogsmeade on the weekends when he goes back to school. And he also gives the owl to Ron because it was kind of his fault that Ron lost his rat. And when they get to the station, Harry tells Uncle Dursley that he has a godfather who is a powerful wizard Ooh. and a convicted murderer who escaped. And he writes him every <laughs> once in a while to check on, see how he's doing, and that he's happy. And it looks like this is going to be a great summer, the end. Quite the summary. And I don't, uh, I, I'm not upset that you had to handle all the time travel stuff it's, <laughs> to summarize. <laughs> it's, uh, the, thing, the thing about this story is it's not so much the time travel. It's just, it's the same thing that happened with all the other stories that we've done uh, of Harry Potter is that they're so they're written so efficiently that everything is important. You can't just say, you know, blah, 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 side story that doesn't really have anything to do with anything because everything is important. You can't, you, you can't really cut stuff out. And it's a, I think it's a tribute to her writing that <laughs> the it's like that, but it's, um, it makes it a challenge to summarize quickly because there's just, 
everything is important. If you leave one thing out, then yeah, stuff doesn't there's things you think, oh, I'm going to trim the fat. I'm going to leave out that. And then like three chapters later, like, oh, wait, yeah. <laughs> that was really oh, significant. My bad. <laughs> Uh, so, um, Amy champion, often when we do these, we, we begin by picking any nits. Is there anything that bugs you at all about this novel before we go on to what we love about this novel? Um, there is one thing in particular. Um, it's kind of more of a meme. Like I didn't catch it the first time I read it. It said, you know, Fred and George had the Marauders map before and that they would look upon it and they would see Ron and this Peter Pettigrew, like, in the same room all the time all right. the time and like they must have been so great like ah don't worry about it like that was probably my one thing i was like but did they and like was that that was just okay that there's this person named peter Pettigrew, and you have no idea who it is and yeah he's just in our house no big deal yeah in the gryffindor house yeah that's weird and like even like at the weasley's house too because scabbers has been in the family for 12 years and so- well they don't have the map for that do they not no, the Marauders map is just covers Hogwarts. But still, but look still. At me. <laughs> <laughs> but the point is valid, and I, I, I concur one hundred percent. It is the biggest like gaping hole in this <laughs> in this otherwise really tight story. <laughs> I don't know how you get around it. Todd, do you have any uh, nits you want to pick? That one, and then also Sirius. Like, is Sirius Black? I mean, the chances of uh, Fred and George or Harry seeing Sirius on the map seem like pretty high to just never see because him. he's on the ground. Yeah, yeah he's on I the have ground a question. Yes, how did Fred and George figure out the secret words for the Marauders map? Yeah. I, 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 because... because the same thing. I think they got prompted the way because the, the map talks back to Snape, oh. and so they're doing oh, it, and, and it kind of like prompts them, and eventually they say, "Are you up to no good?" And then they say, we solemnly swear we're up to no good, and that's when it works. And it may, it could have been something else. They just wanted to know. The map wanted I mean, to like, know. These are troublemakers. That's a heck of a phrase. Yeah. To, and so I'm wondering if it didn't really have to someone. be that exact phrase. Just the map at some point asked them, are you up to no good? And being Fred and George, they didn't just say, of course. They solemnly swore that they were up to <laughs> no like good. I will accept it. <laughs> I, I, w- I totally accept that as, as headcanon now. Um <laughs> It's just the Marauders uh, map doesn't make doesn't make a ton of sense to me. The game of Quidditch does has never made sense okay. to me. <laughs> this is, just divide everything by ten it, it, to start out. Well, also it uh, I think it it became more weird to me in this one than the previous two that we've talked about because you start to see references to uh, the World Cup, and then there's also which at that point I'm like, this is the only Wizarding school in England, right? How is every house player not immediately? a professional Quidditch player when they leave. And they act like, it's about, where else are they drawing this pool of Quidditch players from? Right. <laughs> like, what is their amateur system? <laughs> that eventually... <laughs> and, like, Wood goes to the minor leagues after this. I'm like, wait, wait I don't understand. How many Quidditch players are there? <laughs> and then uh, the other thing is, uh, in this one, they're going into their final game against Slytherin, and it says, we're 200 points, get down, Harry, so you can't catch the, the snitch until we're 60 points up. How does this point system like carry over from game to game? Is it it's aggregate, aggregate points? Yeah. Is it but but is it just aggregate over the other teams or is it like total points scored? Because then if there's one game that takes forever, are you are those teams just suddenly first and second place for the rest? Of the <laughs> oh, you season? could conspire oh, with another team yeah. to just like let's just run up the score. Yeah, because the score could be like seven hundred fifty to six hundred. I wonder if the aggregate only yeah. matters if you're in a like in a situation where there's a tie or something. Then you go to the yeah. Aggregate. I just. 
more so than in previous books. Quidditch. I think I started to question Quidditch in this book. You never yeah. question um, Harry Potter. You just accept it and move on. <laughs> I constantly question <laughs> Harry Potter. I, and then my last little nit to pick. Hermione's schedule that requires her to have the time turner. Are there no other Gryffindor students who are trying to take these two subjects at the same time? <laughs> Must not be. Like, is that the only time these two subjects are offered? Probably. Well, I mean, even if they, even if there are other times when it's available, she's she's loaded her schedule so full that she has to double up something. Well, something. and and like, like other kids, like they catch on to this where they say it's like, no, she was in class with me. No, she was in class with me. Like, she's found out. Yeah, this should be a bigger talking it's point. Like, <laughs> and if, if if anyone else in the school knows what time turners are, it's like, is she cheating? Like, wait a yeah. yeah. Oh, I, I, this isn't really a nitpick, but she's exhausted all the time. I always thought, if you have a time turner, just go curl up in a closet. <laughs> Turn it back three hours. <laughs> yeah, just like, just like keep turning it back. Like, trade out sleep shifts with yourself. That's amazing. <laughs> Good point. Like, you, you should be the most well-rested you've ever been. Also, she, like, aged an extra four months. <laughs> yes, depending on how often she used it. <laughs> if, she'd, if she'd kept using the time turner for the next four years, it would have been like, Hermione, oh you're 22 now. <laughs> That's amazing. But, like, like she, she must have aged at least somewhat extra. And so somebody yeah. should be suspicious. Like, you just seem older, older than, like, I don't know. You're just growing up really fast. Yeah, it's adolescence. There's lots of changes. There's lots of changes going on. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. I never thought of that. That uh that's 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 fantastic. But other than those things, I want to say I love this book and it's amazing and I really those are very small qualms compared to all the awesomeness contained in Harry Potter and Absolutely. the Prisoner of Azkaban. I agree. And I would say even the things it it's amazing how she's able to do this like magic trick rolling in that on the one hand, you have these plot devices that are not perfect in in any way, right? <laughs> and we pointed at the two big ones, which are the Time Turner and the and the Marauders map. And yet they're both so cool that we <laughs> overlook all of those things and say, this is amazing. And I, I think it's one of the reasons why I love this story so much is because so much great stuff is uh, introduced in this book that then is, I mean, if this were the only story, it would be amazing. But the fact that this stuff continues to, to be important through the rest of the of the series is is great. Well, and also I think this one does um, more so than what, anything we saw between the first and second book. Like the the Whomping Willow was really a big deal in the second book, mm-hmm. and now it's a really big deal. Like yes. like you you think you understand why the Whomping Willow is a big deal when it beats up the car and everything, but now you realize oh it's a historically big deal yeah. <laughs> for for Hogwarts, and she does that pretty consistently. Where like oh I told you some, but I didn't tell you everything until right now. Yeah. Amy, I, what do you like about the story? One of my favorite parts is I really like the whole Time Turner travel back in time instance, because I honestly think that was my first encounter with time travel, and I just, I loved how, like, Hermione's whole thing was like, hey, we can't be seen, we can't be seen, but I was kind of more like Harry, like, but if you just go in real fast, and if you just grab scabbers, and then you just kill them, and then you just run away, everything's okay. <laughs> but then you're like, oh, wait, no, that that would not be okay. Like, that would not work. But, like, yeah, the whole, like, Hermione time travel and how she kind of takes charge is, like, one of my favorites in this book. I do love that sequence. And I remember when I was reading it the first time, 
um, like getting through and like Buckbeak dies. I was like, oh, well, that's a dark turn oh, for a children's yeah. book. Little did I know how dark Harry Potter will yeah. be turning very <laughs> shortly. <laughs> like she pulls back on that one, but it's it's like just emotionally prepare yourselves. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then I also remember distinctly like reading through that and Buckbeak dies and they're in the thing. And then, you know, every inopportune moment happens. And I, and I kept looking I'm like, there's a lot of book left, but this feels like the climax. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. and then I'm like, yeah. oh, we're going to repeat <laughs> a lot of, a lot of that material. Um, but I just remember like having that, like we're so trained when we're, when we're reading the the books to like, you know, whether you intend to or not, you know how much book is left. And I just kept thinking there's still quite a bit of book for what feels like the major climax of the novel. Yeah. I had the opposite reaction going through it this time. I was thinking I'm almost done with this book and there's this whole other thing that needs to happen, but that <laughs> thing doesn't happen for like two more books. <laughs> <laughs> uh i agree with you amy about um hermione and the and the time the time turner and going back in time i i i feel like i've seen this movie well i know i've seen the the movie way more than i've read the book but it was interesting to me in the film version of this the hermione that goes back in time is far more um yeah what's the word Uh, like involved in in doing things she throws the rock through the window and she howls so that the wolf will leave um in the book she's very like don't nope, you we're dare just gonna move wait it out Potter. you stay right and, there yeah <laughs> <laughs> and it's so great to see the difference in their personalities and harry wanting to rush in constantly and hermione wanting to just like putting the, the brakes on him which is kind of a like it's the microcosm <laughs> of their relationship in a lot of ways <laughs> Um, but they, you know, they stick it out and together they're better than they, either of them would have, would be separately. And, and talking about Hermione, I, I think this book is an interesting thing in showing us several characters breaking points mm-hmm. in a way that we didn't really see in the previous book. So right away you get Harry having a breaking point with his, um, Aunt Marge and blowing her up, which always <laughs> like, sounds more violent than it is. Blown up like a balloon. <laughs> it, inflated. 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 Yeah. Um, and, and it's when she's talking bad about his parents as his personal attack, and that's when he snaps. And then Ron snaps at Hermione when he thinks Scabbers is gone. And I mean, it was already built on the tension of of her uh, her reporting the the broom and the the very idea of someone taking apart the the firebolt just sends <laughs> Ron into an emotional spiral. <laughs> um, but so his breaking part uh, point is when he thinks Scabbers has been attacked, and Hermione didn't do enough to control Crookshanks. <laughs> And then Hermione has multiple breaking points that happen in the same day. It is a great sequence. Uh, but when she hits Draco, I, I just remember being so pleased. Yeah. <laughs> reading the book. It is just such a, such a satisfying moment. Um, and what is it that Draco is saying ex- exactly that? Is it when he's making fun of Haggard? Is that when she snaps? I think so. I think so. Or like Buckbeak deserves it or Yeah, something. he's gloating about the, about the execution. And that's very different than the breaking points for Harry and Ron, who's are more po- personal, right? They're their family and you know their beloved pet of years this is the friend from school you know that she's been trying to help out um and so it, it, i think that says something about hermione that that is her breaking point versus the more personal and uh, intimate breaking points for for ron and harry uh harry and i think the one other thing i noticed that says something about hermione is the fact that she sends harry uh the the broom cleaning kit <laughs> the, the broom care yes. kit um when she had, she could not care less about Quidditch. Like she only watches Quidditch because Harry's in it, this right? Is like her friend at the very beginning yeah. for his birthday. 
Right, but she 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 doesn't fly brooms. <laughs> like she she's bad at flying. That was established, and she doesn't really care about Quidditch all that much. But she knows he cares, and so she sends him the gift that he wants. And I think uh, we've all gotten gifts, and we've probably all given gifts to people who are like, I think you should like this, not <laughs> <laughs> not the gift of I know you like this. Yeah. And she's one hundred percent like doing the thing, like I know you like this, so here you go. And that's just being a good friend. And uh, the, again, where her her snapping point is with Malfoy, I think that's her being a good friend, and I think that's pretty significant uh, about her character. The the thing that makes her interesting to me is she has these these great. Um, these two great things pulling on her, and one is her friendship and her loyalty to her friends, and the other is her desire to do well in school. And they're both really strong. I mean, when she faces the Bogart, the Bogart knows your deepest fear, and her deepest fear is not Buckbeak getting killed. It's McGonagall telling her that she's failed her classes. And so as much as she loves her friends and as, as willing as she is to go out on a limb for them, her deepest fear is related to school and success in school, which makes it all the more uh, important when she breaks any school rule <laughs> to help her friends. It's it's a, like a fundamentally different thing than it is for Ron or or Harry to break a rule, uh, because for Hermione, she's going against like her her deepest ingrained um, self. I think. I mean, there's the other rule breaking that we saw in the last book where it was like this quest to prove your acquisition of knowledge where mm-hmm. she, she makes the polyjuice potion. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh, and that, like, that's just a variation on this where it's still like she's breaking school rules, but it's kind of school related in her mind. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's about learning. Sure. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I like to think of Prisoner of Azkaban as the beginning yeah. of the Hermione, if that makes sense. Like, she realizes that. Not all adults are good, and not all adults, like, because you follow the rules, not all of them mm-hmm. are good, if that makes sense. Like, sometimes she realizes, you know, I have to break the rules to do what's right. So, sorry if I'm just going to go wander off, you know, at night with the serial killer on the loose, but it's for the greater good. Okay, something about you saying, like, the birth of the Hermione, I don't know why it triggered this, but when they looked at the Marauder's map, did they ever see two Hermiones? Oh. <laughs> Fred and George? <laughs> Oh, that is a really good question. You know, that is a good question. I, I've never thought of that before. I wonder. Anyway, hmm. <laughs> sorry. Let me just see. My <laughs> I agree, though. I feel like there's there's a beginning and then and a, like a before and an after Prisoner of Azkaban, and the the stories before are about little kids, and the stories after are about bigger kids <laughs> and this and one's the, a transitional it, this one's really neither. really transitional yeah. yeah and the the kids are very different after this um in part because they're getting older in part because of the experiences that they've been through and the fact that their world really is starting to kind of crumble around them here i mean it, it, everything really hits the fan at the end of the next book but uh but this is the beginning of that i think I want to circle back to something Amy Champion. I, again, it's really hard to not say champion after your name, Amy. Uh, but one thing you were saying about um, her realizing uh, that adults aren't infallible. <laughs> um, I, I, I want us to like pick apart some of the examples where like the kids start to realize that. I mean, well, they realize they know more at the end, right? When they know the truth about Sirius yeah. and Peter and Cornelius Fudge just won't believe them at all. So there's that. But are there any other moments 
where we see her like see this this awakening of um the adults might not have it all together <laughs> well like i it, like it doesn't really say it in the book but i think the fact that she covers for lupin the whole time that he's a mm. werewolf because usually when you think about a werewolf you think of like this really horrible creature you know grayback who comes later in the books of like just wanting to hurt people and like you know kill them but then no like lupin is actually a man that just has a little bit of a teeny bit of a problem and so he's he's a good man so hermione's gonna cover for him <laughs> the i'd say the way that she acts uh that w- she reacts to trelawney oh right and, yeah that's another good one yeah. and then also at the very end when they realize that dumbledore can't solve this problem for them that all he can do is kind of point them in the right direction and then and it it talks about it from harry's point of view and harry saying he just assumed that Dumbledore could fix anything, and he realizes now that Dumbledore can't fix everything. Um, and I think that's a big moment for for the kids, also. Yeah, it's one of those big transitional moments of moving from childhood into adolescence, where maybe you start questioning too much, <laughs> yeah. and then you swing back around and say, Man, "They're all right. Adults are all right." <laughs> Eventually, I think her most personal realization of that would be with the Time Turner. Adults allowed her to do that. And she had to realize for herself, like, no, this was the worst idea. <laughs> like, if, if adults were infallible, then they would have not let her do yeah. that. Not destroy herself for an entire year. And so she, like, she has this really personal thing where it's like, they basically, like, let me, like, abuse my mind and body for mm-hmm. a year to pursue this knowledge. Like, they shouldn't have let me do that. Yeah. yeah and, well, and I think it's interesting with the time turner, like, reasons why she shouldn't have it. Okay, it's too powerful, <laughs> for one. Yeah. Uh, like you said, uh, this is a strain on her that probably shouldn't be on any 12, 13-year-old, right? Mm-hmm. That's their age in this one. And it's and it's instigated by her. Yeah. And then also there's the fact that, like, this is super, like, not only is it too powerful, it's super secret, but every time she uses it, she's out in public. <laughs> and <Yeah>. classrooms. <laughs> like, this was not thought through uh, by the adults um, entirely. And I think... Talking about this being a transitional one, uh, though, like, this is an instance where, um, sometimes you break a character down to build them back up again. Like, you break a character yeah. down to see what they're made of. And that moment when she snaps at Malfoy and then she storms out of Trelawney's, I think every reader loves those moments. And I think that is, like, a very immediate, different Hermione that's coming out of this. Like, she's been worn down so far that now she's standing up and we're going to have a different Hermione for the entire series after those, those moments. I like that. Yeah, agree. Different in would so different in what way? In what ways has she changed now? Besides, so she realizes that adults are fallible, and that she's going to be a little more willing to break rules. Like she goes down and gets the invisibility cloak, mm-hmm. right? Yes, and I and and she uh, uses the time turner in basically every way that's against the law <laughs> at the end of the book. <laughs> but also because Dumbledore told her to. Right, and so then we get into that this. on her own. This is some of the the wibbly wobbly morality of rule breaking in the Harry Potter books. Yes. <laughs> when when is it okay? When it's not? Oh, talk about the morality of rule breaking. Harry gets one of the the most brutal beatdowns from Lupin <laughs> about the morality yes. of rule breaking. Uh, and, and so it, it's just interesting to me. Um, in all these books, like what is the morality of of breaking the rules of Hogwarts? And it is all over the map. <laughs> like in terms of when when is it right and when is it completely wrong? Uh. 
I, I, well, I, I want to say it's, it's all over the map, but I think there's some consistency. Like, is it for selfish reasons? Is it for a greater good? I think that's pretty consistent uh, as to what gets punished uh, and what gets lauded in the series. But it's just interesting that you see so many examples of rule breaking and and where the as readers, what you're supposed to feel about it varies. I have a question for you based on that, because you were you were mentioning like the morality um, baseline through the story. So in the end, um, Harry has them not kill Peter mm. Pettigrew and he, and he, and he claims it's a moral reason, despite the fact that like he spent the, half the book planning to kill yeah. Sirius Black, Sirius, Sirius Black. Um, and also, and, and it's like, well, my dad wouldn't have wanted that. Harry doesn't know anything about what his dad wants. And he doesn't know anything at this point about how awful his dad was at different times. Yeah. Um, and also his father was a participant in a, a war right. of magic <laughs> and given the opportunity and, and, the right circumstances, I'm, I suspect his father would have killed Peter Pettigrew. Um, mm-hmm. yep. Just saying, you know, <laughs> assuming that there were killers on both sides and not all good wizards managed to do all of it without killing. I'm just, I'm just suggesting that it's mm-hmm. possible that they had to do it. And also, ultimately, like, this screws things up. It would have been a better decision to let them kill him. Yeah, Peter Berger was pretty integral in bringing yeah. Lord Voldemort back. Like, <laughs> like that's a better outcome. So, like, Harry's kind of claiming this moral standing, and I don't know where it's coming from necessarily. And I'm kind of disappointed I, I, in the adults like listening to him and saying, it's "Like, you're right. That's not what he would have wanted." It's like, well, what about what you guys want? Like, it doesn't like your opinions matter too. It's not just because Harry's father died. <laughs> Yeah, if anything, I'd be like, um, I think it's up to Lupin and Sirius to see it's if like, it, he like, lives to, not, you know? He was their friend. And, yeah. like, they're the survivors of the betrayal. But don't you think it, again, I feel like this is before the complete breakdown of wizard society. At this point, Fudge is kind of a, I mean, he's kind of a doofus, but. He's still the Minister of Magic, and there is—he's a, a benevolent doofus. There is still, he's not the evil doofus. There is he still a Ministry of Magic. I feel like if they would have pulled the trigger at this point, that—I mean—that's a far darker turn than than I think. As readers, we would have been ready for, but I think that I think it's darker than what Harry was ready for at this point. And it would have I mean, seemed like is... it would have seemed to me like stepping way outside of the law, and. I mean, Sirius Black is pretty far outside the law. I know, but the, at least there's a chance. I mean, at this point, there's still a chance. He's like, hey, we're going to work this out, and then you and I are going to be, uh, you know, I'm going to be your godfather, and you're going to come and live with me. And they had no idea that Snape was going to come and ruin everything or that they were going to walk out and the full moon was going to come out and that Pettigrew was going to escape. I mean, in the end, uh, initially, it seems like it was a pretty good idea that they had uh, yeah like, yeah, like but, stopping stopping the murder wasn't letting Pettigrew go free that yeah, right. ended up but, as a result but i mean i i just feel like i, think, yeah, I, do agree. I think if harry could have a time turner at the end of book seven and go back it's like i should let him just kill him <laughs> like it would well, it would have saved x number of lives um the collapse of wizarding government but then, well i i think one of your your most convincing points is like what does he know about what his father would or wouldn't have wanted yeah <laughs> at this point like his his relationship and what he's told about his parents and, and, is and, pretty sketchy and he learns things about his dad he's like my dad is not who i thought he was yeah right. i thought that was interesting but i i don't begrudge him this decision at all i just always thought the reason that he saved pedigree was for you know to have a witness like 
to say, look, he's actually alive. He Sirius didn't kill him. He's missing a finger. I always body works as a witness. <laughs> it's like he 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 was see? alive. See, yeah. so I always figured like you know that's Polyjuice Potion corpse. Someone pours the Polyjuice Potion <laughs> no, down that corpse <laughs> with his index finger that we found. Um, I feel so, yeah. What I just, I'm saying, Andrew, is that I I feel like you're conflating two things. One is like the ethics of the decision, and then the other one is the long term ramifications of the decision. I think ethically. It was a better choice to save Peter, but I think war criminals should die. <laughs> right, but it, but war criminals should also be tried, like legally. If there's if there is a, if there's a legal apparatus to do it, it's better for them to go through a system of justice than for people, no matter how justified they feel, to just take the law into their own hands and do that. And if it had worked out as as Harry had planned. It would have been better, but it didn't work out as Harry planned and a whole bunch of other stuff happened. And so then it's easy with 2020 hindsight to go back and say, oh, well, of course they should have killed him because then all this other stuff wouldn't happen. But I don't think that that is the same as saying that Harry made the wrong choice ethically at the time. Why did why did Harry change his mind about Peter versus Sirius Black? Because Harry wanted to kill Sirius Black himself. I know, well, but I'm wondering if yeah. would he have actually been able to yes, do it? Yes, that's my question. Would he have been able to oh, let yeah. someone else do it? I don't know. Because that's the situations he's also, faced with, yeah. not doing it himself. Like, he, I know, but like... I, but would that oh, have been the right like, decision? Does he even know Avada Kedavra? Like, does he even... Like... <laughs> I was, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, like, he's there with the, the wand, he wants to kill it. I'm like, does he know a killing curse? Yeah, because this becomes a really big deal later on, that there are killing curses. Yeah, I, like, I, don't, what think, was I don't think Harry knows what to do. But, you know, for nine-tenths of the book, he's saying, you know, I'm going to kill the man that I believe killed my parents. And then... What does make him switch when it's Peter Pettigrew instead of Sirius Black? I think maybe because... I'm curious, because I haven't read it in a while. So what, what changes? Why doesn't Harry want to kill the man that killed his parents I anymore? I think a lot of it has to do with Lupin, of how he grew to trust and know Lupin. And then here's Lupin, who's vouching for Sirius. Like, okay, we grew up with your father. Peter is the one that portrayed him. He's the horrible culprit. He's actually did what Sirius Black does. And so then when... Then, um. Especially when they have Peter come out of the scabbers form and he's in the human form and he sees, you know, the missing finger. And um, I think Harry then kind of goes, okay, there's two people that one of them I'd really trust. There's two people telling me this one thing and this is making sense. Plus, also, I think Harry really hates Snape. And because Snape thinks that Sirius is a horrible person, he's like, no, no, that's not true. Mm -mm." um i was also gonna say i think there's what one thing todd was saying like when there is the legal apparatus in place to do a trial if they had murdered him right then and there and yes that means there's evidence that sirius was really innocent of that original crime but is he now guilty of murder yeah (laughs) and is he gonna be the criminal (laughs) is he gonna be facing some consequences for he and lupin both facing consequences for murder uh, in lieu of bringing in the prisoner. Yeah, like, you killed someone on school grounds. That's That's got to be breaking a few laws. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think it's a good question. What makes Harry, what flips the switch in Harry's mind where he is, seems so driven by uh, hate and anger and vengeance and, you know, you feel like if he had the gun, he would pull the, tri- pull the trigger on, on Sirius and then something happens here that makes him change his mind and maybe... 
I don't know. I'm just thinking out loud, but maybe it's him seeing that same anger and like loss of control in somebody else. You know, when, when you see somebody else acting the way that you have acted and you're like, oh, that doesn't look so good. <laughs> <laughs> that, that maybe when he sees that like death drive in them, that he recognizes that that was what it was oh. in him. And, and he realizes that's, that's not the way to do this. Like, that's not who we are. Uh, and, and, and maybe when he says, you know, that's not what my dad would have wanted. There, there's so much in the story about how Harry is so much like his dad. I mean, he's, he's seems to me that he's just projecting his own desires onto his dad and saying, basically, that's not what I want. And I don't think that's what my dad would want because I'm a lot like my dad and it's not what I want. Even though I did just oh. a minute ago, now that I see it in somebody else, it's caused me to realize that that's ugly and scary and that there's better ways to go about it. And it does um, de-escalate as soon as Harry says that, like Sirius and Lupin are immediately like, fine, even though they were ready to, right. to kill Peter a moment before. But it reminded me of when um, Hermione and Ron were fighting so much. Yeah. Once one of them apologized, the other one's going to be like, that's ah, not a big deal. <laughs> Like, like we, we could de-escalate emotional tension once one person's willing to do it. And we see Harry be the one to step forward and say, let's, let's tap the brakes on the murder. Yeah. <laughs> um, I have a theory that just came to mind, but it's kind of like spoilery if you haven't read the last book. So I don't know how far I should divulge into this. But Our listeners have been warned right now. Run it, Run with it. Okay, so what if this whole murderous side is the horcrux side of harry coming out and he kind of has like a oh my gosh that's not me and it's not until he sees lupin and sirius going like yeah let's kill him then he's like um no i'm not down for that you know amy champion this is why we had you on this moment (laughs) well it just came to me i was like but wait there's a little bit of voldemort inside of him maybe that's what's doing it or conversely, maybe the little bit of Voldemort is what's saying, "Don't kill him. I need him." Voldemort's <laughs> like, "No, evil." Kill Sirius. That's fine. Be ready to kill Sirius all you want. I hate Sirius, but don't kill Peter Pettigrew. Yeah, everybody lie in there. It's good. That's a really, really interesting theory. Well, it's like the whole theory, like of why the Dursleys hated Harry so much, is because it affected him like the locket affected Ron and Harry. Huh. Little fun fact. Anyway, we digress. <laughs> wow I, we're not gonna get to the locket for a while but <laughs> i don't like, know how many times you read that bit. book i was like take it off just stop just just all of you sit in a circle near it <laughs> <laughs> but we'll get to that in, a, in about four years cool. at the pace we go through the harry potter books <laughs> i'll be listening nice <laughs> um what, where are we at here? Any other uh, favorite thoughts about Hermione? Uh, we're going to have to be wrapping up, but and and we did want to focus on Hermione. So uh, before we do wrap up, any any uh, favorite moments that we haven't touched on or anything at all? I love Hermione's drive to do the right thing. In I, I've always I think Hermione is maybe the character in the story that I admire the most. She's also the one that I kind of I identify for other reasons not because like i'm a great person but because <laughs> but because i i recognize this like the drive for academics and doing well in school and the and the like paralyzing fear of not doing well <laughs> um but there's just some this 
her willingness to to say, nope, this is the right thing to do, and we're going to do it. Uh, like with Harry's broom, when she goes to McGonagall, <laughs> or her telling Harry, you know, I will tell on you if you go to Hogsmeade, because that's the right thing to do. And I feel like Ron is such an enabler <laughs> all the time <laughs> for Harry. And I love that Hermione's there to... Um, you know, like you said, tap on the brakes and just say, hey, this is not the right thing right now. And we see it over and over again, but it's such a, it's a great part of her character. But then she also is able to, when it's necessary, say, okay, we're doing this. And then she goes, she goes and does it because uh, I feel like she has a pretty strong moral compass. Yeah. Yeah. I think it'd be easy to write a character like Hermione as a wet blanket. And she's not. No. <laughs> like when, when she's choosing, to not go along with a rule breaking or to be concerned about their safety. Like there's greater reasons than just I'm only a stickler for the rules. And we know that because we see her bend the rules when it's the right thing to do. As hard as that is for her when it's the right thing to do, she's like, all right, let's do it. Anything else, Amy? Um, I think you pretty much covered it. I mean, again, I think I always think a person of Azkaban is like, the starting point of when Harry Potter, the series gets dark, but then also when the characters really come to, and especially Hermione with, you know, the things that are coming her way of how, like, the rules are there to help you, but sometimes you know better than the rules, and sometimes to save other people and even yourself, you have to break them. And I think this was a good introductory of, like, mm-hmm. the whole, you know, serious Black convicted murder, and he's actually not, and the government is wrong, and I think it's just a great contrast of what her character was from the first and second book even to now Prisoner of Azkaban. Yeah, I think um, it's a sign of the maturation of of her that we start to see this realization because it can be a sign of immaturity to just ignore the rules all the time and it can be a sign of immaturity to say the rules are perfect, (laughs) right? Or or, or naivete, I guess, to to say the rules are perfect and and we must always, if if we always obey every rule perfectly, things will always work out. Like there's a naivete there and then there's the immaturity of just saying, well, the rules don't apply to me. And she in this book, I think we start to see her move past that earlier version of trusting every teacher implicitly and um and trusting in all the systems of government and to to get everything right um and and that's something that's gonna carry on to like if you look at the character of Hermione in book one versus book seven, it's like how did one how did how is this the same person <laughs> who's gonna do you know in book one who who won't cross a single teacher yeah, like, to the I'm one who's on the run yeah. <laughs> from the Ministry of Magic in book seven, <laughs> and and so I I I I don't think I'd ever pegged this one for all the transitional points that we're seeing, but I think there's uh there's no denying that this is a turning point for the characters and for the tone of the series. I think while we're on final notes, one thing that I love about this story is that it, it is it's kind of the beginning of Harry Potter turning dark, but I feel like the pacing, um, like the emotional pacing of the story is so good in that it's like uh, they're up and then they're down and then they're back up and then they're down and and you see Harry really happy and then you see him really sad and then you see him really happy again and you see him really sad. And I feel like after this, we start to get into like emo <laughs> Harry where he's just mad all the time at everything. Yep. And it's book five all the way through. <laughs> I know. Um, but this book is still, it still has kind of that lighthearted, like we're kids and we want the Quidditch cup and, um, <laughs> yes. and house cup, and the is house cup really matters. 
but I feel like there's, I, I don't know, it, it kind of feels like a like a boat on the waves or something. Like, you know, just kind of rocks back and forth between these emotional highs and lows, and it makes the reading really pleasant. Like, it's a really pleasant story to read, I think. And uh, just, uh, I don't think we did enough credit. I love the time travel and how well uh, time travel is, is like a mind bending story device. And when it's done poorly, <laughs> you can get so angry at a story. <laughs> and I think she, she, she does really well, even though there's maybe some questions that we wish were answered about time travel yeah. um, in, in the wizarding world. But the way that you get the final chapters told and then retold and it works so well to to see the outcomes that that get revealed for how everything really was, um, even though when it's happening the first time, yep. nothing feels off about what you're being presented. All right, Amy Champion, uh, first time guest, we always ask a uh, dinner uh, question, dinner party question, because this is a podcast about great characters and great stories. We would like to know if you could have a dinner party with any of your favorite characters there, uh, just so you could sit back and enjoy the conversation that would happen. Who would you invite to a dinner party? Okay, so what's interesting is I threw this question also to my friends, and it was like, oh, but no, but, you know, oh, they would talk about this the whole time. But from that conversation, <laughs> I drew, like, my perfect list, so I'm ready. So I would invite Sam from Lord of the Rings, Samwise, because I'd be like, Great choice. Joe, tell me about Frodo. Tell me about the ring. How was it really like, you know? Then, because, <laughs> like, you'll hear about Frodo all the time, but no, I want to hear about Sam. Then I would obviously would have Hermione. Um, I would really like Leslie Nope from Parks and Rec because <laughs> I just think that would be fantastic. And the she is one of my favorite characters that I came to know because of this podcast. Really? Uh, yeah, it was asked that we do that, and I'd never been able to get through the first five episodes of of Parks and Rec. And then because we were doing the best episodes, <laughs> we were doing some later episodes. I'm like, this show is really great. <laughs> this is good. <laughs> yeah. No, I love Leslie Nope. And then I also would like the 11th Doctor because I feel like... Remind me, is that David Tennant? Uh, Matt uh, Smith. Matt Smith. Okay, sorry, I was one off. I apologize. No, Every Doctor Who fan who was just yelling at me, I'm sorry. I'm offended. I, I was going to ask the same question, but I decided I'd let you walk into that minefield. <laughs> like, oh, you got it. We're good. And then last but not least, it's not really a protagonist, but I would love Negan. From Walking Dead. <laughs> I mean, kind of random. But, and I know, like, the conversation would be lots of explicitives and F-words. And, but he's one of, like, um, I'm reading the comics and everything, and I'm just like, this character, holy cow, I hate him, but I love him. And I want to talk to him. So that's my dinner party. You're all invited. All right, so remind us one more time. We had Sam and Hermione yes. and Eleventh Leslie Doctor. Nope. Yes, Leslie Nope. Oh, Eleventh Doctor. Eleventh Doctor and Negan. Negan. That is quite the grouping. I love these. I love this question. <laughs> I love how like, all of them are like, oh, they kind of fit this mold. And then it's like, Negan. And you're like, wait, yeah. what? <laughs> yeah, that's definitely going to take uh, – some conversation topics are going to veer because he's in the room. Yes. Like, Leslie Nope <laughs> and Negan, I'd be like, oh, this is going to be fun. <laughs> like <laughs> – 
Well, thank you very much for joining us, Amy Champion. And I think that is going to wrap up this episode. Thank you listeners for joining us. And for show notes and links to all the other great Dueling Genre shows, go to DuelingGenre.com. Also, please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in your podcast app of choice. And please leave us a review. That really helps us out. And we would like to thank Nick English, who designed our logo, and Scott Tofty, who composed our theme music. At this point, you may have noticed for a few weeks, we've had new theme music that uh, was composed specifically for the Protagonist Podcast. And that was done by Scott Tofty. And we love it. And we're very grateful to him for having done that. If you enjoyed this episode, you may want to check out episode number 43 and number 104 when we talked about the first two Harry Potter novels. You can suggest stories or characters for us to discuss or give us any comments or corrections by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com. We're also on Twitter. You can follow at protagonistpod, at Todd K. Mack, at Jay Dorowski, and our producer Andrew is at DizMinute. Is that correct, Andrew? Yeah. D-I-S Minute. Uh, Andrew also uh, co-hosts uh, the Disney Animation Minute Essential Podcast. So that is the reason for the change in his Twitter handle. Yes. Amy Champion, do you have any social media you want to throw out there? Um, no. I have a Facebook. Okay. <laughs> like... <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> uh, our Facebook fan page is facebook.com slash protagonist podcast. We have really good conversations there with our listeners, and we would love for any uh, conversations or feedback that you have. Uh, you can drop in anytime. If you would like to support the show financially, you can buy a topic for us to discuss or show your appreciation with a monetary donation by going to patreon.com slash protagonist. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back next week to discuss another great character in a great story. So long. So long. Aunt Petunia, who is uh, uh, Harry's aunt, her sister Marge comes to visit. And she is even worse. No, it's Vernon's sister Marge. Oh, it's Vernon's sister Marge. You're right. So Aunt Petunia, who is Harry's uncle's sister. uh, Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Let's take another run at that time. Yeah, I'm going to just say don't take off from that. Back it up. Try the runway one more time. (laughs)